Blog Talk Radio. Network, a Wednesday night edition of our sports conversation. We look forward to it each Wednesday night, and I hope you do as well. As always, we got the same group of people leading the way. Roy Cummings is in Tampa. 
Roger Hendler is in Philly, but about to go back to Atlanta for a stay over there. And Frank Callis, our executive producer, and the Philadelphia Eagles are going to be in the news for a couple of reasons this week. The best game of the week, obviously, will be Monday night. But also, we're going to find uh, the Jim, uh, Jim Gallagher, uh, a longtime Eagle executive. And, Frank, you've got a little dedication for him before we get started. Yeah, it's uh, Jim Murray, remember, John? Uh, Jim has been with the Eagles for many, many years. He served fantastic. He was fantastic in business. He did a great job as general manager of the Eagles. And then he started a, a nonprofit uh, called the Ronald McDonald House. Ronald McDonald House is now in, in 57 states uh, around the, the country. Uh, and it's all because of things that he's done and put together. Uh, tomorrow, uh, the good people of Philadelphia will have a chance to help out. They're having a, a, a marathon uh, TV program. Uh, it starts at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning and goes through till 7 o'clock at night uh, so people can make a donation. Remember, this is, this is a, a, a program where people are at their very, very lowest. Their child is in, a, in serious condition. Some made them, and they're waiting for cancer programs. Some of them are fatal. But they're given a house, they're given a room and, and board at the Ronald McDonald House, and there's no cost. There's absolutely no cost. You also uh, have a chance to uh, uh, give in a decent cooking for the house while you're there. Uh, we had the pleasure of uh, using the. You're breaking up, here. Brian. You're breaking up. That's not me, John. Go ahead. It's it's Roger. Uh, we had the pleasure of using the uh, the uh, McDonald House here in uh, in Tampa uh, in 1999 when my daughter was almost killed in a car accident. We were there. She was there 31 days in the neurointensive care unit. And they let us stay at the house the whole time. It really made uh, getting back and forth to the children's hospital easier. We met a lot of nice friends, and uh, I can't say enough about the program or about Jim. He was always a gentleman and always uh, somebody I looked up to. So good luck. No uh, question about it. Jim's uh, really done a terrific, terrific job, and it was really piloted, too, by the Philadelphia Eagles owner uh, uh, and, of course, uh, you know, they got involved in it in the early days, just take up collections, and then it bloomed into exactly what Frank is talking about right now, uh, a full-fledged Ronald McDonald houses all around the country, started by the Philadelphia Eagles and the Philadelphia Eagles owner, and a terrific job by Jim at the same time. All right, let's get our program underway. We'll go down to Tampa, Florida first. And now, we've got to tell you, we've got some great games coming up this weekend. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles, obviously, Kansas City, they start a four-game spread against some very, very difficult teams uh, uh, with a record where they've only lost one game and a two-game lead on the Dallas Cowboys. And, of course, the other thing we want to talk about at the very top, tough blow for yeah. Cleveland because Deshaun jumps, uh, Deshaun Watson, I should say, is going to be out. Uh, so uh, let's go to uh, let's go to Tampa, Florida, and Roy Cummings. Roy, go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, uh, good weekend ahead. Um as you said, some good matchups. So Monday night will be the the uh obviously the you know the crown jewel of the matchups. Uh we'll see if it's a great game or not. Um but it should be. Um 
you know, I don't think there's a lot of really good NFL teams this year. The NFL is, I'd say, down a little bit. So, I mean, there's a lot of mediocre teams out there. And uh, but but uh, the Chiefs and the Eagles are not two of them. I, I think, despite the fact that we've talked about it several times, the Eagles, you know, not having played their best football yet, uh, they are still, I think, one of the three or four elite teams that are in the league. Uh, Chiefs are probably the best of the bunch. Um, you could make an argument for San Francisco, but you know, they came back to earth a little bit uh, over the port, port course of the past month. But then, um, you know, looked very good last Sunday. We'll see how they do against Tampa. Should be a, you know, I wouldn't say an easy victory for them, but um, they should win that one. And although Tampa's, you know, played pretty well at times too, and uh, you know they've, they've shown uh, they've shown an ability to win games. They haven't shown an ability to upset a good team yet, so that would be a step forward. But uh, clearly, the, the biggest game is uh, Kansas City and uh, and the Eagles, and we'll see how that uh, rematch of uh, the last Super Bowl uh, plays out. And, Roger, you're right there in Philadelphia. I imagine a lot of hype for this particular game as well. Uh, also, uh, talking about uh, what's happening in Philadelphia, a lot of highs this year between the baseball and the football. And uh, one thing about the Eagles, they keep getting up there, and uh, they've only lost one game, but they scared a lot of people in Philadelphia with the way they perform game in and game out, Roger. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me, every week, but uh... – you know, I'll tell you, Roy, I don't know if the Chiefs are the best team, to be honest with you. Well, they have three losses, and, uh, you know, they are the defending champion. But I don't know if the best team in in the NFL has surfaced yet. I really don't. And uh, I think, uh, you know, this game coming up could be, and I mean, uh, look at the way the Cowboys took care of the Giants. But the Giants... <laughs> They are uh, not a very good team, so uh, and, I, <clears throat> and they're awful. I mean, but there's a lot of awful. Look at that uh, game that was in Frankfurt on Sunday morning. I mean, you know, who would want an NFL franchise when you saw, saw a, a lousy game like that? But, you know, I, I think that the, uh, the best team will surface uh, probably in December, uh, and uh, then and then we'll know for sure uh, who the best team is. And it may be the Eagles, and it may be the Chiefs, maybe the 49ers, and it may be Dallas. Who knows? I mean, uh, I was surprised that Jacksonville lost on Sunday the way they had been playing. But, you know, that's the NFL on any given uh, Sunday or whatever, whatever day uh, anybody can beat the other team. Well, I certainly won't argue with you the the point that uh, it's hard to know who the best team really is because you're right. Uh, we, we've yet to see a team play at, at an extremely high level consistently. Uh, we've seen a lot of teams play at a mediocre level consistently, and we've seen several teams play at a very poor level consistently. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, as we said many times, I just noted that uh, the Eagles probably haven't hit their stride yet. Uh, the Chiefs with the three losses. Um, you know, I just think I just think of the of of all the teams. I think the Chiefs probably just have not just because they're the defending champions, but I just think they can probably overcome the issues more than any more than anyone. I think they're deeper than most teams, but uh, but still, yeah, as you said, December will probably tell us who it is. Or you know, there's a very good chance we could go through the entire season, 17 games, and really never get a feel for who the best team is, and then 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 end up with a matchup of. Who knows? Uh, you know, I mean, you can make an argument for the Baltimore Ravens being the best team in the league. So, um, yeah, you know, who knows what we're going to see in the what we're, it could be a shoot. It could be a Dallas uh, Baltimore uh, 
uh, Super Bowl. That that could certainly happen. It wouldn't surprise me uh, because, you know, the way it's going, um, it, it, clearly anything can happen. Uh, again, uh, no one has really stepped up and said, hey, uh, we're, we're the team to beat here. I mean, you look at what Buffalo did the other night. Uh, you know, a lot of people had counted uh, uh, Denver out, and rightfully so. But, uh, you know, now they're they're coming back to life, and uh, and, and Buffalo is, is struggling. So, you know, we'll just see. It's it's kind of like that throughout the throughout the league. It's in my opinion, the product has not been very good this year. Um, there might be four or five teams out there that uh, have the ability to play at a high level and will reach that uh, reach that distinction at some point. But uh, right now, there aren't too many doing it. You're right. And also, fellas, uh, let's go right back down to your belly with the 49ers coming in. They had a they had a really down spell there for a couple of weeks and. Uh, they bounced back last week and got a big win. Uh, and I think this is a very, very big game for the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers uh, will either be in or out, I think. Uh, and if they can make a good showing against the 49ers, which I believe will be very, very tough, your opinion? Yeah, I, I think this is a, a big game for the Bucks for a couple of reasons. First of all, they could lose this game and still win the division. That's, that's not an issue. Um, the division is still soft. There's no doubt about that. They've still got games against Carolina. Another one against uh, New Orleans, another one against Atlanta. So, you know, they can still the, the schedule still favors the Bucks uh, if you want them as a if you consider them to be a division champion contender, and I think they are. Uh, again, just because of the division, but you can say that about every division, really. But the opportunity for the Bucks right now is to prove once again uh, they have this opportunity again to show that they can beat what most people consider to be an elite team. You know, there's probably as we said three, four, five elite teams at best in the league, and uh, they, they couldn't do it against the Eagles, uh, couldn't do it against Buffalo, they, and they can't do it. And so let's see what happens here against San Francisco. Can, can they win this game? Um, you know, look, the way Buffalo – I'm sorry, the way San Francisco has played uh, of late, you could say, uh, you know, I think the Bucks have a chance. Now, they've got to correct some things. Uh, they've got to get their running game going. I think they've got to get uh, Rashad White out in space a little bit more. They've proven – they they figured out that that's where he's best. Uh, they got to stop giving up big plays on defense against the run and the pass. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, you know Baker Mayfield has uh, has put this team in contention. Uh, they've got enough weapons to to hang with anybody offensively. Um, if the defense can hold and they can get the, you know, they don't make mistakes on special teams, well they can uh, they could they could po- they could post an upset. I, I think that's quite possible. And uh, I'm not calling it. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but. I do think the I'll, I'll be let's put this way, I'll be surprised if the Bucks don't give the 49ers a good game. I, I think it's going to be a one-score game at the end of the day, and I think it's going to come down to the last four or five minutes of the fourth quarter before it's decided. So um, I, I think the Bucks are that good, and I think you know they've had a couple of weeks here to figure things out from their bye week and, and to kind of hone in on the, the issues that they know. Uh, they have to correct, and I think if they can uh, get into practice and, and get some things done there, uh, they could just uh, they they could uh, upset San Francisco. At the very least, I think they'll give them a game. Roger, uh, you're heading back to Atlanta. We had high hopes for Atlanta when the season got underway, and things have not worked out their way at all. Well, they haven't. They've had ups and downs, and uh, uh, they're still trying to figure out who the quarterback is, uh, and. You know, they were uh, high on the kid, but now, you know, everything I hear and, and uh, hear of uh, Reed uh, is that now there's a lot, there, he's suspect. The thing I, I'm, I think Arthur 
has to worry about now is his own job because this is the third year and they really have not taken steps forward. Now, you can also blame the uh, general manager on the, the drafting, et cetera. But the one, the, the, uh, the draft pick that I've ever seen on TV, I do not understand why he is not used more. And that's uh, the uh, kid that went to Miami from uh, Kyle Pitts. And uh, I just don't get it. I mean, that kid was, is and is uh, supposed to be a stud. And, you know, he doesn't get that many passes thrown to him. And uh, he was supposed to be like one of the great ends. And I don't, I don't understand. I think that Arthur Smith has made some and, – and, Roy, you probably see more games uh, because of being down in Florida than we see, but uh, they, uh, some of his play calling is really suspect. Yeah, and I think the system is a bit suspect. And, you know, it's clear to me that they're not really playing to the strengths of what they have, at least on the offensive side of the ball. You're right. Pitts uh, is a player who you can, you know, build an offense around. Um, Very few offenses are built around tight ends, but let's face it. Uh, we certainly saw Tom Brady, uh, you know, win four or five Super Bowls because he, he featured his tight end a lot. And I think the Falcons should be should have been doing the same thing. You got two young players there at quarterback and a tight end that you can really just feature. And 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 you know, Pitts. I think he's he's one of those guys who you can, you know, you can split him out wide if you want. You can put him in the slot. You can put him on the line. He's just that kind of guy. And uh, you know, an elite caliber tight end and. Uh, he's got that ability, but you know we just haven't seen it. And and again, I I think you're right. I think it's it's a result of the scheme, and I don't th- think the scheme is geared towards the tight end. It's you know just a, it, I'm not gonna say it's a basic scheme, but it's just a, you know or, your ordinary scheme that basically features you know runs and uh, and passes to the outside, and the tight end is you know an occasional uh, decoy, and uh, he'll get the ball uh, if everybody else is double covered. So. Um, you know, but I think it it really needs to work the other way, and I and so I think what what you're seeing develop there is probably a need to make some changes uh, in the off season. I think ta- I think talent wise, uh, Atlanta has some pieces there, and and I think they've got the foundation of building something. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take another draft or two, but I think they've got the pieces um, if they you know are willing to to take advantage of those oper- of those pieces and and make use of them. Uh, I think that's what they've got to do, and I think that's what you're alluding to. Yep. Before we jump over to another sport, uh, any comment from you, too, about the Sean Watson? I mean, Cleveland, they've been trying so hard to get a team together that can win. Uh, they won a game at the Wire Sunday. Uh, Sean Watson really led them all the way down. Uh, Roger, any comment about before we jump to another sport? Well, no, you know, I – been a uh, Watson fan for many years because I broadcast uh, his uh, games at uh, Gainesville High School when he was a freshman sophomore, and um, and he had a great career at Clemson as we know, and uh, got his degree in three years, uh, and then ran in a foul with some personal uh, issues off the field, which really knocked him out for more than a year. 
And now I think, I know he got hurt, but I guess you're saying that he's finished for the year, right, Don, because of the injury. I had not seen that yet. I I believe that's the case. I I haven't got the full report yet, but I believe that's the case. Yeah, he's got a broken bone in his his throwing shoulder, guys, and and, and the belief is that the surgery is going to require more recovery time than what's left in the season. Right. Yeah, it looks like he is done for the year now. You know, maybe, maybe if they made the playoffs and they went deep, he could somehow be back. I don't think that's the case. I just think there's too much rehab. Again, it's you know, so so I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, you know, I, I guess I feel bad for the player. I do. I feel bad for the player. Um, feel bad for the Browns. But you know, <laughs> um, based on Deshaun Watson's uh, recent history, I. I uh, I don't feel too, I don't feel too bad. <laughs> Not a lot of sympathy, right, Roy? <laughs> I, I put it this, let's put it this way: I, if I was the owner of, of an NFL team, I never would have signed Deshaun Watson. I, I don't care how right. good he is. I just I, I never would have signed him. I let somebody else do that. Uh, the Browns did it. You know, some people are saying this is karma. I don't know about that, but um, and high numbers, you know, dude. How do we just sign them? High numbers, <laughs> guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, let's switch to another sport. You're Bailiwick, uh, Roy, and uh, you've been talking about Edmonton all year, and uh, the cracks in the armor came out very quickly this week. I mean, they didn't wait very long to get rid of a coach to make a completely change. They got off to a terrible start, and you thought they were the they were money in the bank starting the season. Well, I, I I thought they were money in the bank to be one of the better teams in the league. I I I was not I'm not in the group that thought this was a Stanley Cup finalists um I, I because from the very beginning and this is one of the reasons i'm a little bit surprised that that the fire you know that they they fired the coach uh, john woodcroft because here's the thing i i've never thought uh going into this season and even last year the year before i've never thought that edmonton had the goaltending to to get deep enough into the playoffs to win a stanley cup and i know that they don't have the defensive structure to go there they don't have the edge um, when you look at teams that are getting deep into the playoffs and winning Stanley Cups nowadays, they have an edge to them. Uh, they have elite-level goaltending, and they're pretty deep defensively. Uh, they don't necessarily – I'm not talking about having seven or eight, you know, defenders, but you've got you got four or five at least. And uh, you can cover up for, for some mistakes, and you've got a structure that, uh, that, that keeps the puck out of your net. None of that is is is, is present. Uh, in Edmonton, they've got arguably two of the best players, the two best players in the game today, in Leon Draisaitl and Connor McDavid. Um, they've got you know other pieces that are that are just fabulous, and, and most of it works pretty well for the most part. Um, but you know, five on five, uh, you know, penalty kill, defensive, you know, in, in a tight checking game, they're going to lose more often than they're going to win. And so I'm not surprised that they, you know, I'm not surprised at all that they got off to the start they got off to, because if you take Dreisaitl and McDavid out of the equation, and that's kind of what is what happened late in Woodcroft's tenure over the last, you know, six, eight games here, was that those guys kind of lost confidence. They were struggling anyway. And that just led to this team just being unable to, to, to produce, in, you know, in any way offensively. And if they can't produce offensively, well, they're not going to win the three-two games. They're not going to win the two-one games. They're going to lose those games five to two, you know, four to two, and uh, that's what was happening. And I don't know that you know the new coach uh, Chris Knobloch is going to make much of a difference. First of all, 
I mean, it's good that he had Connor McDavid and Junior. That's great. Uh, he is the best player, and you got to figure out a way to get him going again. And, you know, again, Edmonton has proven that they can, they can be a playoff team with just two guys going. But uh, he's going to have to change the structure there. And I don't know that they have the horses to do it. Um, you know, if they're going to play a forechecking style, which I think is part of the plan, uh, you know, start to create off the forecheck a little bit, maybe that works. Um, but do you have the forecheckers to do it? It's going to take a while for them to, um, to, uh, to, to figure this out. Uh, to kind of restructure things. But the good news is this. Uh, they did make the move early. Um, I won't say it was, uh, it was unwarranted. Um, but at the end of the day, we have seen in the last couple of years, saw St. Louis about three years ago go to the Stanley Cup Finals after uh, being in last place, literally, uh, in the league or in the division, uh, you know, on January 1st. And then last year, Florida, which was, you know, foundering late in the season uh, at the same time, you know, January, February, uh, coming to life late. So, you know, they've got, in essence, they've got about a month here to figure this out. Um, The West is not that strong when you get, you know, when you get deep into it. Colorado is going to be tough. Vancouver's playing extremely extremely well. We'll see if they can keep it up. You know, but but if they can get to a point where they're above water against uh, the Winnipeg's and uh, and Arizona and, and St. Louis, teams like that. Then you only have to worry about, uh, you know, Colorado, Dallas, Vancouver. I mean, the other, everybody else in that West is, uh, I mean, L.A.'s playing well, um, but pretty much everybody else in the West isn't quite ready to, to go deep into the playoffs either. So uh, there's an opportunity for Edmonton to figure this out. I think it's one of the reasons they went ahead and made the move when they did. Shake it up now, see if you can make some changes and get, uh, get this thing back on, uh, back on the rails. Roger, before we come back to uh, Roy and talk about his uh, hometown team, the Lightning, who seems to be flattering around the 500 mark, uh, that's, we'll talk to him about that one. But uh, we look at what happened with the Rangers, the Islanders, and uh, you're right there in Philly. Uh, the Flyers are having a tough time. They're about they're floundering around that 500 mark. Well, yeah, but I'll tell you what, Don, they have had a good, a pretty good road trip uh, on the West Coast. And uh, they, I think they were uh, five and seven, and uh, uh, they're now at 500. So right. uh, they they've had, they had some really good wins, uh, and and uh, one of them uh, very uh, surprising. But uh, you know, Tom Lemain has said continuously that uh, they're going to get better, and I agree with that. And John Tortorella uh, seems to be very happy with the way uh, they're playing. So. I think they will get better as the season progresses, and uh, but uh, I'm, I'm, I was really excited after I saw two losses on uh, the games I attended, and then they go in the West Coast and son of a gun, uh, they turn it around and they're looking a heck of a lot better. Roy, uh, you know, guys, like you had a tough night last night, and uh, there's again, uh, of course, they lost their goaltender until. Later on in the season, we've talked about that week in and week out. Uh, but John Cooper is uh, having a little trouble getting them out of the gate. Yes, he is. And uh, I'll tell you what, guys. Um, I was at the game on Saturday night against uh, Carolina uh, where they got shut out, and then they get shut out again two nights in a row. Uh, that hasn't happened in a long time here in Tampa. Um, but I'll tell you what, uh, this situation in Tampa, it goes deeper than Andre Vasilevsky's goal. It goes deeper than having missed uh, Nikita Kucherov against Carolina on Saturday night. 
this team looks quite lost right now, and and I think part of it is I just don't think they have the horses to play the style that uh, that John Cooper wants them to play uh, anymore. I, it's, and and I, I and I I applaud the moves that they've made in the off season. I, I think picking and, and late last season, I think they picked up good players, guys that that you know are the kind of guys that you need. Uh, to go deep into the playoffs with and, and to win a lot of games with, um, they're not they're not household names. I mean, nobody knows who Tanner Janot is no, unless you really follow the game. You don't know who uh, Michael Esimont is. You know, guys like that. But you know, these are the these guys are you know Connor Sheary, you know, this this type of player. But these are guys who can help help you win. But you've got to be in the right system. And right now, I just don't know that Tampa's playing the right system. For these guys, um, they've got to shake that up a little bit, and I don't know that John Cooper has the answer to, as to how to do that. Um, you can't just kind of, you know, they, they've done a better job of late of not, you know, kind of leaving their goaltender, you know, on his own because that's what they were so accustomed to with Vasilevsky. But uh, they really haven't figured out, you know, just how to attack offensively. I mean, the other night uh, at the game, I mean, they, they're struggling with the basics struggling with the basic breakouts, struggling with the basic regroup, struggling, struggling with the basic entry into the offensive end. Um, and they're really, really struggling to hold on to the puck offensively. And, uh, you know, once they, once they get into the offensive end, part of that is because some of the guys they have just don't have that kind of skill set that uh, some of the other players that they used to have did have. Um, but, uh, the, the, again, the good news is Vasilevsky, I think, is within a month of coming back. I think you're going to see him before Christmas. Um, and that'll that'll give the Lightning a boost for sure. Uh, but you know, just five on five, they got some things they got to figure out. And uh, you know, so we'll see where it goes. But I think we found out that John Cooper is not quite as good a coach as he seemed to be. Again, this is the guy who he never won the Jack Adams, and there's probably a reason for that. And uh, you know, one of the reasons is I, you know, look, a, a lot of people will say that goal, you know, coaches in the NHL are just as good as their goaltenders, and. When you got the best in the league, well, you, you, your team usually goes pretty far, and uh, that's what's happened. But uh, you know, of late, we've seen what the what, what the Lightning are, are really made of, and right now, it, they, they don't look to be that strong. But uh, they got time to figure it out. Well, fellas, on the baseball front, Brandon Hyde, I thought was a great selection for a manager of the American League, and of course, Skip Shoemaker of the National League, and uh, I thought both choices were good. Uh, uh, I know there was a uh, little bit. Uh, Bruce Bochy got three votes, I think. Uh, Roger, what do you, you think about the two managers selected for managers of the year? Well, I thought they were good choices. I uh, would have thought that uh, Bruce Bochy would have gotten more votes uh, because I think it's great. You come out of retirement where you're coaching your grandchildren's team and now you win a, a World Series championship. But you know, there's a lot of politics in, uh, in everything, as we know. Uh, I, I thought the uh, uh, selection, you know, for, uh, you know, an MVP, and uh, you, I, I was surprised that Bryce Harper got the um, silver slugger for, for uh, being the designated hitter because he, uh, uh, well, he played first base, not, I guess, not that much, so if you look at it uh, from the time uh, that he came back, he did uh, was the right. DH. But uh, you know, it, 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 um, it, what I think is going to be interesting is how this in baseball how this free agency goes. 
I mean, it's it's going to start uh, picking up. There's a lot of speculation Aaron is going to go to the Braves. That'll be very interesting if that happens. So, uh, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. There's more awards coming, but uh, I thought they were the, the managers of the year were very, you know, they were deserving. Yeah, we'll hear about Cole today, whether he gets there. For, for the Yankees, of course, are looking forward to that one. Uh, Roy, your thoughts about the two selections? Yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with it. I, you know, here's the thing. The votes come in before the season ends, and just as the season was ending, uh, the Rangers were kind of – they were struggling a little bit. There was a lot of questions as to whether, you know, how good were they going to be in the playoffs. Can they, can they suddenly figure this out? And, you know, it's not that easy to just put Corey Seager's name at the top of the batting order right behind Marcus Simeon every night and, and let him go, go, go to town and, uh, you know, with his MVP caliber uh, type season. So, um, but, you know, that, and that is no knock on Bruce Boshi. So, but I, Brandon Hyde, I don't have a problem. I, I, I thought both of the, 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 uh, the manager of the year awards were, uh, were solid choices and, uh, you know, happy for both managers. I, I, I don't think Bruce Boshi's upset that, uh, you know, he didn't get the didn't get it because he got the ultimate prize, and I'll leave you guys with that. Um, at the end of the day, Bruce Boshi, he's he's going to be in the Hall of Fame too, and um, and he's got another World Series ring, so uh, it's worked out re- real well for him. So, guys, appreciate uh, you having me for another week, and uh, we'll do it again next week. We'll break down uh, the Bucks and Niners and the Eagles and Chiefs. I'm looking forward okay. to it, Roy, and thank you as always uh, every week of the entertaining and information network from you. So thank you very much. And uh, Roger, you and I saw a couple of basketball games last night. We don't want to talk about the NBA, but Sixers AK win streak went to a, uh, went down the drain. Uh, they lost uh, handily last night at home, and they're playing against Boston Celtics right now up at the Boston Garden. Just yeah, and just we starting also in the saw a, uh, outstanding college game. You're very familiar with Drexel. The Drexel Dragons uh, uh, played. A, uh, an awfully good game against Temple and already lost by two points. Well, they, and that was a, uh, I watched some of that. You watched the whole thing and uh, let me know what was going on at the end. Had a discussion uh, today in, in uh, uh, school uh, with several people about uh, some of the, and one's a coach, about some of the uh, other games. How about Penn beating Villanova, Don? And yeah, uh, yeah. after what losing to St. Joe's, and then they beat Villanova, and uh, the uh, coach I was speaking about and I both uh, believe that uh, Jay Wright's successor is on a very short leash, and uh, there it's really going to take somebody uh, a lot more pizzazz and uh, to uh, come in there and get things turned around. Uh, I mean, he's only in his second year. I understand that. But, uh, you know, it's the old story. You don't want to be the guy or woman who uh, replaces the legend. You want to be the person that replaces the person who replaced the legend. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and uh, we saw that so many times. And and it's just, uh, it's amazing. The one good thing is, the Big Five, even though it's a Big Six, really has had some great games, and it's really exciting to see that fans are attending and fans are talking about it again. That's great news. Well, we certainly hope so because they went through a period of time. I talked to Phil Martelli last night, as a matter of fact. Uh, his uh, Michigan team did a terrific job at the Garden 
couple of nights back. I don't know how many people had a chance to see it on Monday night. But the Michigan played St. John's. And, uh, you know, it was the return of big-time basketball at St. John's and playing at Madison Square Garden. And Phil Martelli in Michigan uh, just took them right right out of the game from game from the from the opening toss. And it, it was a terrific game for Michigan, so I had a chance to talk to Phil. And I don't know how many people know that Phil uh, uh, has been replacing his, uh, the head coach because uh, uh, head coaches had uh, heart problems. And so Phil's sort of filling in, uh, waiting. And uh, I talked to him, and I, he's got a guard. Uh, I can't think of his name now, right now. But, boy, well, I, best guard he's had since he was at St. Joe's. I mean, what a terrific player and what a terrific game. Also, last night, uh, more trouble in the NBA at Donnybrook between uh, – the, the Golden State Warriors and I think it was uh, Timberwolves, if I'm not mistaken. I, I haven't seen the, the video of it, but I know that uh, a lot of people are going to get suspended. And uh, the NBA continues to have problems, Roger. <laughs> hey, they sure do. And uh, they just can't get out of their own way, it seems. And, uh, the and, and you know, there the uh, what's interesting is, Don, I don't know if you saw – reaction to fans on James Harden. Uh, they already want him out of town on the West Coast. So, so yeah. <laughs> he no sooner gets there, and he's got everybody uh, been out of shape, and they want him out of town, just like uh, they did in uh, in Philadelphia. But uh, I think well, the Sixers uh, – go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You, uh, you, you saw the Sixers no, I mean, as I did too. Yeah. Yeah, I I think the Sixers are uh, a fun team to watch. Uh, And, you know, uh, 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 Tyrese uh, Maxey, 50 points the other night. I think he ought to be showcased a lot more uh, because I think he he is the kind of player and has the personality totally opposite of uh, Joel Embiid, uh, where he could really – uh, get people excited, and he's got that great personality and a big smile, right. and he's just the kind of kid that you uh, you love, and and I love watching him. Joe Lee didn't have a real good night last night, but uh, as I said, the, the Sixers had won eight in a row, and uh, came up a little bit short last night, but they came up short against a team that really played very well. I don't want to take any well, of you. Pay- uh, no, Pacers, yeah, the Pacers are good. Yeah, yeah the Pacers are very good. So our listeners know, Roberta Leedy, her car, Matthews, too. You're breaking up, right? Up. Is she going to be on or is she doing something else? No, she, her car broke down and she can't get to, she's waiting for a tow truck to come get her. So, oh, okay. Um, that was that. Young lady was going uh, to join us. She's uh, joined the LPGA, and we were going to talk a little women's. She just came back from Italy and wanted to see whether she had played on the course where they played the Ryder Cup. Uh, I'm sorry we're going to miss mm-hmm. her. And uh, So what direction would you like to go, Frank? She'll be on next week. Yeah, she's going to be on next okay. week. Okay. I'm trying I'm trying to get Phil Matthews. Um, he was on next, but uh, his phone keeps going to, um, to uh, voicemail. Bill was the official scorer for the World Series. Of course, a longtime baseball coach, college baseball coach, as well as the official scorer for uh, the Tampa Bay uh, Rays. And uh, so hopefully uh, he's supposed to join us tonight, too. So hopefully we get Bill. So, 
Uh, Roger and I will sort of kick it around until we find out whether we can get Bill or not. Okay, I'll keep trying. Okay, Okay. sounds good. Yeah, the the, uh, I I know uh, TL is uh, not at the uh, uh, Flyers game because they're in Charlotte, Carolina, against the Hurricanes. And uh, once again, we want to congratulate Tom as we did last week. Uh, Friday night, he will be uh, the man of the year in the Philadelphia Broadcast Pioneers. And uh, Don was honored uh, several years ago. Uh, you and Dan, I think, were on that same day. Is right, Don? Exactly right. We went in at the same time. And uh, just before the COVID, and, of course, the COVID shut down the, the uh, honorary uh, dinners at the Hilton Hotel in Philadelphia, and it shut down the uh, Pioneers Hall of Fame and and uh, I'll tell you, a lot of great people uh, in the Hall of Fame and uh, a lot of people. that were, Dan Baker certainly was so well-deserving, and he went in the same night I did. Well, he did, and I thought that, as you know, I was uh, being the uh, Ira Kaufman of the broadcast pioneers and pushing for you a long time ago because you should have been <laughs> in there a, uh, a long time ago. Um, you know, we want to have uh, Mike Silski on uh, we, at one time, and then we had a, uh, a glitch and we couldn't have him on, uh, because he's on with uh, Glenn Mack now on Saturday mornings, 10 to 1 on WIP. But he is working on a book that I, I, I can't wait to talk to him about. Uh, it's not out yet, but it's going to be on the history of the slam dunk. And I just think it's a fascinating subject. Uh, you know, because I can remember when I was in high school, to be able to dunk was like a real accomplishment. And I was 6'4", and I did it one time. And I got to tell you, I never came down from the clouds. And uh, and I was in a lot better shape than I am today, I can tell you that. But, you know, we saw, uh, and, and now uh, my nephew, uh, with Intersport, runs that uh, sl- the uh, dunking and and the uh, 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 the uh, three point uh, competition uh, before the NCAA Final Four, and so this has become a, a whole new uh, a whole new topic. Uh, where today, I mean, last night you saw Embiid tried to make a slam dunk, but he didn't make it. I don't the heel of the rim and it shot out 20 feet. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> but I just, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward. Uh, Mike's a great uh, writer, great person. And I'm just looking forward to uh, when he comes out with that. Cause you know, it's always, you find a really good book about a subject uh, you're interested in because I can, and I'll tell you, our uh, executive producer would know this this fellow because he went to his uh, alma mater, Tom Galia, St. James, right, Frank? And uh, 19, I think 59, I think it was right around your time. And I can remember he could dunk at five, and he was 5'10", as I recall. And that, in those days, was a real, real uh, uh, accomplishment. So, uh, well, the anyway, players are... The players are so big now, and so many of them can dunk. Uh, but I, I happen to be in the uh, the Wizard of Westwood. I happen to be yeah. in his in his class. I think they've ruled the game with the dunk. I think they're so concerned about hitting the three-point shots. And just as you said last night, 
you know, they're, they're behind in the game, and all Joey has to do is just lay it in. They were behind, yeah. they were behind by, I think, only five points at the time, and he tries to do a windmill slam dunk, hits the back of the rim, ball goes out 20 feet, uh, uh, the Pacers pick it off, and go down the other end of the floor, they have a layup, and the game's almost over. I mean, uh, I just, uh, I know that uh, most of the uh, basketball fans love it. They they love the dunk, uh, but I think it ruins the game. I think it takes a lot away from playmaking. They don't they don't do any playmaking. Either they shoot the three, or they slam dunk, and I I think that takes it away from the from the game itself and the NBA. And the other thing that has always disturbed me over the years is the fact that it's the only sport that you can play where you uh, intentionally foul to give yourself an advantage in the last couple of minutes if yeah. you're down. Yeah. And it's the only sport that you could do that. It's the only sport where you could intentionally foul somebody and try to, to uh, gain an advantage. And I always thought that was a weakness of the game too, but uh, nobody else agrees with that, obviously. <laughs> but uh, No, no, I, always... I do. <laughs> yeah, I do, and and uh, one of the greatest uh, scoring performances I ever saw by an average height player was South when I was living in Columbia, South Carolina. Kevin Joyce uh, and uh, the Gamecocks. Frank McGuire was the coach, and right, they had some right. really good uh, team. Alex England, great Brian players. Winters. Joyce was a great, great player. players. Yeah, that was a great team. And Kevin Joyce had forty-two <laughs> points against Indiana. And there was no three-point shot. And uh, at the uh, final four Meadowlands, I was sitting a couple of rows in front of, front of Bobby Crimmins, and he was one of the assistants for Frank McGuire on that at that on that team. And I talked to him about that, and he agreed with me because I, you know, if you take the the, the uh, three-point uh, line into effect, Kevin Joyce would probably have had over 50 points because like every one of his outside shots was a three point shot, but he didn't look at it as going out because there was no three point uh, shot. Right. And it, it was just good traditional basketball. As we know, Frank McGuire always played when he was coaching the Warriors or North Carolina or at South Carolina, you know, you right. had to be a fundamentally sound player uh, to play on his team. Lenny Rosenbluth, uh, you know, at uh, North Carolina, great player. Uh, was okay in the pros, wasn't, uh, didn't set the world on fire, but uh, he had some great players. But that South Carolina uh, team, i tell you, they were fun to watch. I got to see a lot of games, too, at living in Columbia. But they were just a, a terrific team to watch. Well, I, I thought that the uh, three-point play was, was very, very interesting because uh, and my my mind was when they brought it into the game, they brought it into the game to give you an advantage to make a comeback by shooting three point mm-hmm. shots. I don't think it was intended to start the first shot of the game to be a right. thirty five foot shot. I mean, I, I don't think that I don't think that was the intent of it, but unfortunately, it's turned into. And of course, Phil Mustick at the New York Post details it almost every week. Some games, 70 three-point shots. You know, I mean, it it uh, it becomes now a three-point game. And uh, as uh, 
Sonny Hill told us a couple of weeks ago when he was on with us, uh, he was always a proponent for the big guy in the middle. There, there is no post-game anymore. There's no Will Chamberlain. There's no Bill Russell. No. You know, there's no post-game in the, in the NBA. And in most, for the most part, there's no post-game in college. Now, I watched Kansas last night, and they have a young fellow that's uh, 7'2", that uh, you know, could easily be a post-player. Great rebounder. I think he had 32 points and 22 rebounds last night as uh, Kansas came back to beat uh, Kentucky. But uh, as I say, it, it, I, I thought it was a great innovation to give you a chance if you're two or three or four, five points back. You know, at the end of the game, you get a couple of threes and you're right back in it again. But I've always been just hesitant about saying, well, you know, the last three minutes of a game, all you're doing is watch people intentionally foul and hoping they miss. I mean, that's, that's basically what it is. Exactly. You know, I wanted to follow up with you, with you at uh, staying with uh, even college basketball. Uh, congrats to uh, Phil Martelli uh, for oh. getting uh, a well-deserved uh, credit uh, for what he's done because he had to fill in for the coach uh, last year, too, I think, Correct. a couple of games. Yes, he did. Right. right. But, I mean, every time he has filled in, they've played well. And and we know what a great coach he is, and uh, it's just really good. He's getting a big play in the Big Ten. So uh, we love the guy, and, he, and he's, a, he's a terrific guy. And I'll tell you, if you ever hear him uh, as a speaker, as he has been many times at the uh, uh, Philadelphia Sports Writer, he is funny. And that last line last year when he was there, he says something doesn't add up. Okay, he said, Fran Dunphy comes out of retirement to be back on the bench, and Jay Wright goes into retirement to be out off the bench. <laughs> you know, it, it's just and that's brought that absolutely house true. That's absolutely yeah. true. Jay Wright knew when to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, well, as and, I, say, I, I you know, basketball is a great game, and I, I broadcast a lot of games. I, I love the game. But I just think they've just gotten it way, way, way out of control uh, between, uh, you know, trying to run some kinds of plays and and, uh, and just coming down and shooting a three-point shot. I, you know, and, and so many times if uh, you're not having any success with a three-point shot, uh, you know, you're just not going to win. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Uh, but anyway, that, that's just my opinion, and uh, oh. it, doesn't, it doesn't agree with most people. Well, agree agrees with me, and and I think when you're a traditionalist, and uh, I think that's why I enjoy women's and girls basketball, uh, oh, because that you know, and you know, it's, I was talking to one of the uh, coaches, uh, the and one of the girls uh, high school coaches, and he was saying, you know, as pure athletes, the girls. Roger, let me interrupt right there because Bill Matthews yeah. is ready to go. We got Bill. Great. Great baseball coach, visual scorer, obviously, for the Tampa Bay Rays at the Trop, and has been for many, many years, and also official scorer for the World Series. Uh, nobody knows more about baseball than Bill does. Bill Matthews, once again, thank you very much. I'm glad Frank had a chance to get a hold of you. We've been waiting very patiently to get some great information <laughs> from you. Well, I'll try not to disappoint, but I can't make any guarantees. I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> Um, because my phone's been receiving calls all day, so there must be something funky in the air. How are you guys doing? 
Good, Bill. Always great to talk to you. Love, love I'll your, let you uh, lead it off, Roger. Go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, I've been reading a lot about college baseball, and uh, the uh, uh, one of the uh, – uh, one, a friend of mine's son is a senior at uh, West uh, Forsyth High School, and uh, he is going to a, a school, I believe, in North Carolina, Division Three, uh, to uh, play. And uh, they're excited about that. I'm excited because I know the young man. And uh, I will tell you, uh, so you can, in the future, his name is Seaver Smolin because his father is a Mets fan, and he was named after Tom Seaver. And he, oh, my so gosh. We'll, we'll be hearing all about Seaver Smolin this year <laughs> in high school and following years in his college career. That's awesome. Tom Seaver was a special man, and uh, I had the opportunity to face him in 1976 in a, in a strike year exhibition game that we held at Eckerd College with a bunch of National League All-Stars who were working out with us during the week, and uh, we played a game on a Saturday, and I had a chance to lead off against Tom Seaver, and uh, it was a pretty amazing experience. I doubled down the left field line. I'm a left-handed hitter, so that tells you how quick my bat was. Um, and and in, in doing that, I got to second base, and he turned around and hit his cap to me, and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I could die right now, man. This is like the highlight of my career. 25 years <laughs> later, I see him at the Don Cesar Hotel at an alumni event, and I had some balls with me, and I was getting them signed by guys, and I had one left, and I went over to Tom with my wife, and I said, you know, Tom, uh, I'd like you to sign this for my son, Zach, and he signed it, and uh, I said, you know, I uh, figured I'd go for it. I said, yeah, you're not going to remember this. But 25 years ago at Eckerd College, we played an exhibition game when you guys were locked out, and he looks at me and he goes, hold on. He goes, double down the left field line, right? And my, and, my, and my wife said, oh, my God, that was a true story. That's great. Well, Bill, tell us what you thought of the World Series. You saw it all, and uh, it was a little shorter than most people wanted to see it, but uh, it turned out the Rangers just turned out to be a much better team. Well, you know, it's really interesting. We had the discussion. Uh, in, in college baseball about whether or not to have conference tournaments uh, or just play the games and then go right to regional tournaments. And it, it's, it's an interesting discussion because you give a team that didn't finish in their division, but they win a wild card and they get a chance to go to a postseason play and they run through it and they win the World Series. That's the argument on the part of the team that win a lot of games in our conference it's the Tampas and the Florida Southerns who win 30 plus games a year in a 33 game conference schedule you don't want to keep playing the same teams in conference tournaments you want to move on because you've already won the conference you've already shown you can play over the long haul but the Rangers prove that to be true if you give a team a chance to get hot and they get hot they can win it all and that's exactly what the Rangers did it was pretty wild to watch it happen Roger? Yeah, the uh, that's a, a, a good uh, a point, Bill, uh, because there's a lot of people that feel that way about the wild card and, and about conference championships. After, like, you know, why did you uh, win all your games except for two when it was going away 
and then uh, you get knocked out. I mean, the Braves were birds example sure. this year. I mean, no doubt sure. about it. But uh, no, I mean, it's it's a very good point. I can tell you that in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, it goes back to 1958 because I was uh, in ninth grade, and uh, Haverford High School won the state championship. And they had lost to Chester High School twice during the season. But they won by one point because the second-place team at that time in uh, each uh, league in the PIAA, uh, they got to play uh, in, in a uh, tournament. And that Haverford won, and they went on. They won the state championship. But uh, they had, were not the winner of their own uh, league. So that was yeah. the end of that as far as the PIAA. They would never allow a second-place place team to ever play again in the state tournament. Well, Bill, Larry Bull was all last week, and we talked about this at great length. And Larry said that all they're doing is they're making a team that's won 100-plus games in the regular season worthless. He said they should at least change the system so that the number one team got to play the worst team in each playoff series. Not not, not the, to break it down uh, the way they do now. He said they should at least get the right to play the weakest team in each playoff series. And I agree with that 100%. Make the, make the fact that they won 100-plus games worth something, not that the regular season doesn't mean anything. Yeah, you, you can't you can't make a hundred two game season essentially a toss up when you get to the playoffs. I don't think that's fair to the best teams in the league. I also don't think it's right to put the best teams in the league in a position where they have to scratch and claw to advance. Making them play the worst team in the tournament, you know, that that's still a pretty darn good team. So I think the argument is either drop the wild card, which would never happen because MLB wants to share the wealth and they wanted to give everybody a chance. And I, I think what they need to do is somehow, and I don't know how they could do it. I'm not a, I'm not a brackets kind of guy, but I, I, I agree with Larry. And somehow they have to set it up that the number one seed gets the softest, easiest, uh, I don't know what the correct word is, face in every round, and I don't know bracket-wise if you could actually pull that off, but I agree with Larry that that would be the way to do it. I do, too. I do, too. Roger? Yeah, I, uh, I, I also agree with that, and, uh, and I think that something will come out of that in the future, but uh, owners want to make money, and that uh, brings uh, more revenue in. Uh, but, you know, I think that you have to be fair or else – look at the NBA. Uh, I mean, it's so bad uh, as far as nobody really is interested. I mean, the real hardcore fan is, but uh, the populace is not interested until they get into the playoffs as far as uh, TV ratings go. And it's because they just have diluted it so much. I think Draymond just made a lot of people interested Draymond Green's actions last night. Mm-hmm. I think he just, I think he just made a lot of people really, really interested in the NBA. Did you see that video? Mm-hmm. We we talked about that earlier, Bill, and and uh, I'll tell you, he's been throwing out of more games. Green has <laughs> he's a great player, 
But he's yep. been thrown out. I think they think they said he was thrown out of fifty some games. I can't believe it. He's unbridled, and there's no there's no real equivalent to that in baseball. Um, you know, baseball is more kind of a of a, of a cerebral sport. Um, I, I use you know like Blake Snell winning, being what the fifth guy to win uh, Cy Young awards in both leagues. Um, fascinating, incredible. I mean, Brett. Did he win Blake, it tonight? He did win it, yeah. And how about Cole? Did he win it in the American League? Cole, Cole won it as well, yes, sir. They were just two to one. They were, they were heavy favorites that they were going to win it, I, but I hadn't heard the result yet on whether they had won it. What we were doing the show, and I didn't uh, hear the result of whether they had won it. But they both did win. Yes, sir. They're both Cy Young Award winners, and Snell is a free agent, so it's going to be interesting to see who puts the money up. Bill, you're in on all the meetings. Uh, First of all, your evaluation of all the rule changes they made last year, uh, your evaluation of what you thought of those, and would they make any changes? And number two, is there anything we can expect coming up this year that they haven't discussed yet? No, I'll I'll answer those backwards. Um, There's there's nothing uh, that is going to come up this year going to be new and different. Um, I think they, they're still trying to give people a chance to get used to the rules as they are. Um, my preference, I don't see the point in the throwing to first base rule. I think it opens the door. Um, if you throw over twice, you know the guy's going on the third try. He's going to extend his lead. He's, you know, pitchers don't have good enough pickoff moves. They don't work on them enough. So he's going to go on the third pitch. I think that I think that rule should be eliminated. I don't think pitchers throw over six, seven, eight times, much more than maybe four or five games in an entire season. Would they go extended throws to first base? So I think that's the only rule that, if if I were king for a day, I would probably get rid of that rule. I think the pitch clock is the greatest decision since 90 feet between the bases. Um, it it makes it makes the game move so much more slowly. Uh, I'm sorry, quickly. It makes it makes the batters uh, get in there and swing the bat and get a feel for it. It makes the pitchers have to focus and hone in and, and get a feel. You know, hitting and pitching are feel kind of activities. And the longer time you have between each swing, the harder it is to execute that skill. So by having the pitch clock, it gets everybody in a rhythm. And I'm I'm a huge fan. I think we only had three pitch clock violations at the drop this year, and two uh, batter violations not being set by the eight second time uh, time limit. So, I mean that's awesome. I and I just uh, it's 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 almost like gosh, it's a big, big game. I got to go home now. Kind of kind of mentioned. You still like the ghost runner and extra day games? You like that? Well, I'm used to it in Florida because we we do that. Well, the junior colleges in Florida actually instituted that. Daytona Beach Community College was the first school in Florida to do that back in the early 80s. Um, We do it uh, down here, so I'm I'm kind of used to it. Do I like it at the big league level? No. But the, the main purpose behind doing it is saving pitchers' arms, not making them throw an exorbitant amount of pitches because there's so few great arms. 
and there's so much money invested in those arms. Um, I, I, I think the uh, the rule is only made for that reason. It's not made for offense. It's not made to increase run production. It's made purely to save the arms of the pitching staff. So I can understand the mechanics and the, the analytics behind it. Do I like it? No. I mean, it's we did that when we played middle middle school kickball on the telephone pole was first base, you know. <laughs> I hear you, Bill. <laughs> Roger, go to it. Yeah, uh, the um, a couple of things, Bill. The I know you're still uh, involved with the uh, the college, even if it's just on a support supporting basis. Um, how does their uh, how did the recruitment uh, class uh, for this year? Uh, 23, 24. Uh, does how does it look? And of course, they're they're getting, uh, I guess, playing fall ball now, right? Up here, yeah. We just, uh, I think the fall uh, season is going to be done this week. Um, uh, it, it, it's it's an interesting uh, landscape right now uh, because of COVID. Um, you've got a lot of guys who are returning as super seniors or super, super seniors if they had a medical redshirt year already in there. So you've got some guys who are still playing at 22, some playing at the age of 23 if they're a super, super senior. So where does that leave the incoming freshmen? Leaves them way down the totem pole. Yeah. It puts a lot of pressure on the young kids, the 17- or 18-year-old kids, to play against the 23-year-olds and compete for their position. you got to be a pretty darn good 17 or 18 year old to do that anywhere in the country, never mind Florida, where you know everybody was a number three hitter when they were recruited out of high school and they came to Florida. So right. I think that changed the recruiting landscape. Um, I think interesting demographic fact, the male population right now is the lowest it's been in, in 40 years in terms of college mm. age students. This, our school is 70% female. All the private schools that are in our conference, we're, all, we're an all-private school conference, every school is between 60 and 70% female. Hmm. The scary thing is, in three years, when the 2008, 2009, 2010 kids uh, graduate, the eligible college-age student pool is going to drop by 40%. Because 2008, 2009 was the big recession. Everybody couldn't afford houses. People were losing jobs. Inflation was crazy. And as a result, people were not having kids. So the birth rates dropped so dramatically that now that we're coming into college cycle years, we're going to be down 40% bodies. Imagine wow. what that's going to have. Oh, that's, yeah. That's, that's just straight-up demographics. That's going to have a shattering effect. Back, backlog some kids now in order to carry them on because it's going to be hard to come by in, in uh, 20... I'm trying to do that. Bill, is, that, is there a, in your, in your competitive uh, situation, is there as much portal action there as there is in Division One with the big schools or, or, or not? Oh, the, the portal is the worst mistake in my eyes the NCAA has ever made because we're, we're doing exactly what they want. We're giving them their way. They can leave whenever they want to leave. They can leave for no reason. They can just move on. 
Um, everybody's picking up kids off portal, and and you know the kids may have some baggage, uh, either disciplinary or academic. Um, it's it's like okay, you know, we're, we're tired of listening to you guys complain. We're tired of forcing schools to sign a letter of release to, to let you talk to somebody else. So we're just gonna wipe that slate clean, and we're gonna give you the opportunity to go wherever you want, whenever you want. It doesn't matter. Just do it. Bill, yeah. I want to thank was, you as always. Uh, sorry we got we got on to you a little bit late today, uh, but thank you very very much. Look forward to. As we go down the line, getting closer to uh, the winter meetings, getting close to the season opening up, we're certainly looking forward to having you back on with us many times. I look forward to it, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, Bill, always a Thanks, pleasure. You're, you're the best. Thank you. Yes, sir. Take care, guys. Have a great week. Bye-bye. You too. He hey, does Don, more games you know than... what? That game we saw last night, uh, talking about, just what Bill was talking about on the portal, did you see that one kid? He's he's played on four different colleges teams. That's right. That was unbelievable. I mean, one was a junior college, but my gosh, four teams? That's a little little too much for me. Well, they got something to play on five teams. That's <laughs> four four's uh, that's not the top of the rung. But anyway, you you're exactly right, Roger. I mean, everybody you know, we talk about uh, student athletes. And they're playing on five five different schools uh, to play basketball or play football or whatever. But Mike Schulte is going to join us next. Mike, of course, always talks about the NCAA, talks about the bowl. He'll talk about that this evening as well. Mike, welcome back to the show once again. And uh, uh, a lot of important games, not necessarily big games this week. Last week there were some very big games. Penn State was one with Michigan. Uh, We talked last week about the – situation with Harbaugh and what was going to happen, and that happened before the Saturday game, and uh, not very clearly defined either. It was, I don't know, but anyway, we talked about it last week. Welcome once again, uh, Mike, and uh, what do you think this week? Any major surprises this week? Well, you know our saying, every week something happens you don't expect, um, and I expect that'll be the case this week again. Um, you know, you mentioned big games. Um, you know, there, there's big games that are the national sort of, you know, two top ten teams playing each other kind of games. And then there's big games that you know, are, are really important to to the schools that are playing. And I do think we have quite a few of those now, especially especially to the point where, you know, you're, we're down to the final uh, basically two weeks of the regular season. And – now is when you know these games. If if nothing else, they mean a lot. I'm talking to college football, of course. Um, they mean an awful lot in regards to the potential um, post game opportunities for these teams. Uh, you have t- some teams, a number of teams that are trying to get bowl eligible. You've got teams, you know, and 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 how they finish these last two games can make a world of difference uh, 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 with a team as to what kind of a bowl game they get into, what kind of bowl trip no they're question. going to have uh, no if, if they do qualify. Because um, there's a big difference between, you know, six and six and where you might go and, and say, you know, eight and four or whatever the case may be. So, so you know, these games are really important to them. And even for the, the teams that are more at the top of the rung, if you will, 
you know, uh, positioning for the, the, the college football rankings that, you know, of course, the, the latest ones just came out last night. And, you know, there's some teams there that, you know, you look at the, the rankings and you're like, okay, but knowing that, you know, what's ahead based on uh, upcoming games and in both regular season and, and potential um, conference championship games, you know, there's some, you know, there's going to be some movement in those rankings and you know who's you know you know you got a lot of teams vying to get into that four team playoff right now, and I could probably give you eight teams right now that could potentially be in that mix, depending on what they do in the next two weeks in the conference championship games. So, so there's still a lot of football left to be played, and the outcomes can be uh, uh, you know pr- pretty pretty significantly different depending on how these teams do. And even if it's a game where there's, you know, they're going to be favored and they're supposed to win the game, you know, we see upsets all the time. I mean, I was my son goes to UCF, and we were over there at the, in Orlando for that game against number 15 Oklahoma State last weekend. And not only did did they beat Oklahoma State, they won. I think it was like 45 to three or something like that. I mean, it was just nobody saw that coming, right? And so all of a sudden, Oklahoma State, you know, drops 10 spots in the polls. And, and that kind of thing. So things can happen. And, you know, some of these games are, you know, are definitely games where, um, you know, if, if the, the favored team doesn't come ready to play um, and, you know, the, you know they, they could uh, end up walking away with a loss that they didn't expect. Roger? Yeah, the uh, uh, last weekend I was up at my daughter's and uh, she lives uh, – an hour from State College, and I'll tell you what, Mike, <laughs> the price of hotel rooms in Salem's Grove, uh, Pennsylvania, was like out of sight at the uh, at a Marriott, uh, four to five hundred dollars for the night, Friday night, and sure. and and then same thing on Saturday night. But uh, what I found interesting, my son and my daughter and son-in-law both went to Bucknell. He played football at Bucknell. And uh, they have so much construction, and they're in the Patriot League. So uh, they're building an indoor practice facility. They're building all new locker rooms. They have a uh, uh, an artificial ter- uh, uh, field that's a turf. I mean, not the one in the stadium, the one that's outside the stadium. And yeah, it just goes one, to yeah. show. Yeah, practice one. Yeah, and it just goes to show you. Uh, even at that level, uh, how much college football means to a uh, university as far as prestige, uh, publicity, uh, promotion, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Well, you look at what happened with Colorado this year, and I know that, you know, they. I think they're about five, around 500 right now, which, mm-hmm. you know, still a huge improvement over what, what they have been and, and what they were last year. I think a year ago they only won one game. But – you know, uh, you know, with all the the stuff. Prime, that, prime time you know, the a lot everything. of publicity there. I'll tell you. Yeah, well, I, I saw it. The team's not doing too well, but the prime time's getting a lot of publicity. <laughs> well, no, the te- I mean, the team's, the team's doing good. Hey, any other program, you could do take it from one win to six or seven wins, you know, you, you think that's back of a success, right? That's true. I mean, yeah. but, do, but do that when you've got to bring in 80 new players. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't just, you know, improve their team. They they had to start from scratch. With right. Never played before, you know, but together. But my point in that is that the university, this, the numbers I saw, and I can't remember exactly, but it, it was something effective. The university 
their, their, their social media following went from like for 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 football or, or the university went from like a hundred thousand followers to you know three million followers, <laughs> and the the amount of money that that the the program had brought in uh, in donations was tens of millions of dollars ahead of anything they've ever done before. And et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera. And, th- and this was like, you know, this was as of like a month ago, right? So the point in all that, be, oh, the other thing, applications, applications skyrocketed for people applying to school there this year. So, you know, when you, to speak what you were talking about, the impact that a program can have, a successful program can have um, on a university is, is undeniable. And, uh, you know, so you, you're seeing that, like you said, at, all, at every level. Right. Well, they're going to play a Friday well, night this week, so everybody's got a chance to see. I believe their game is Friday night. They're not playing on Saturday. I believe they're playing Friday night. But uh, well, another another very, very important game is, is North Carolina-Clemson because, uh, you know, what a game North Carolina played last week at overtime, double overtime, and uh, mm-hmm. Max uh, finally won it. And, uh, but what a terrific game at Chapel Hill. I don't know whether you had a chance to see it or not, uh, Mike. I didn't get to watch it, but uh, I did hear about it. And you're right, that that is a big game for both those squads. Um, uh, I, Louisville and, and um, uh, Miami play, I believe, this week as well. That's a big game for both of those right. guys. You know, and Louisville's trying to, you know, they're they're trying to get into the ACC championship game. I'm not sure if they're slotted in that yet for, uh, or not, but they, um, but also, you know, right now they're ranked pretty high and. Have a chance to uh, um, to possibly play FSU in that game, and who knows what will happen from there. So you know, but obviously they've got to get by Miami first. So, uh, and I'll tell you another interesting game is going to be Tennessee at Georgia. Uh, will be an interesting game. So so or Georgia at Tennessee rather. So you know that you know will that be another up you know uh, upset kind of thing like uh, Georgia did or uh, Tennessee did last year against Alabama and they. And they tore the goalpost down and put it and threw it in a river. I, you know, I don't know, but uh, that that's going to be a big game for those guys. You know, and Georgia, Georgia is number one well, right now. Well, before we run out of time, we got a little time left. So let's give uh, give your bowl a little bit of publicity and uh, talk about the tickets. Talk about uh, uh, yeah. the opportunity that the kids have. Give a little impression around the country of uh, uh, what the bowl is all about and New Year's Day. Sure. Well, the Reliquest Bowl in, in Tampa is uh, we're going to. Looking forward to another great year this year. Um, our tickets are actually going on sale on Monday at 10 a.m. Monday uh, at Ticketmaster, uh, so people can start buying tickets then. Um, uh, we're looking forward to a great matchup of, of you know Big Ten versus SEC. We we might have an ACC team actually uh, uh, as opposed to Big Ten, depending on how the uh, uh, the, the, the playoff committee uh, signs teams to uh, the Orange Bowl. But um, either way, we're going to have, uh, I think, it looks like a, a really nice matchup. And uh, we've got a great week of events leading up to the game. Uh, it's uh, just a, a great environment, a great way to start the new year. So tickets are, are going on sale Monday at 10 a.m. on Ticketmaster. And uh, we're looking forward to, to having a great show for everybody. And we're all looking forward to the ReliQuest Bowl as well. Roger, you're up. Well, the uh... – I know you guys always do. I haven't ever been uh, in attendance, and uh, 
but I'm, I'm sure it will be. And, you know, it's going to be interesting uh, talking about that Georgia-Tennessee game this week, because, um, Mike, because, you know, Georgia's had some ups and downs. And, uh, you know, they're, as you mentioned, they're back number one. However, uh, Tennessee looks pretty good. And I guess this, this is the, the next step will be against Alabama in the conference championship, uh, depending on what happens this weekend, right? Yeah, well, yeah, Georgia, uh, Georgia, Bama, I think, have both um, uh, solidified their spots in the SEC championship game. Um, and of course, you know that's that's going to be a huge, huge game. Uh, if if no for no other reason than you know with the the playoff, obviously, um, mm-hmm. you know if, if Georgia does get by Tennessee and and goes in undefeated, uh, and Alabama gets by uh, their next two games, including Auburn and the Iron Bowl, uh, then you know you're going to have uh, a huge game that's probably going to have probably number one Georgia versus maybe a number seven or eight Alabama at that point and uh, maybe even higher. And, uh, you know, it, it, you know, obviously it's going to make a big difference in regards to what four teams get in the playoff. And if, uh, if our Alabama were to, were to win that game and it's a close game, then you could see potentially two sec teams in the playoff. Uh, again, like we had a couple of years ago. Um, so, you know, there, there's a, a lot riding on these games, and like you said, and no matter who they're playing, you know, if you're a favorite, you need to take care of business and win the game you're supposed to win. And uh, and otherwise, uh, you know, um, you know, you, you've got to keep keep getting the W's to to get a really good bowl spot. So there's a lot riding on these last few weeks of games, uh, regardless of who you're playing each week. Well, you explained the uh, James Madison situation. Uh, we talked about it at great length last week. And uh, they're still undefeated, and uh, yeah. an eight point, seven or eight point favorite this weekend to, to you know, clean the slate mm-hmm. at uh, undefeated. And as you explained, if there's spots open, uh, they are going to get a chance to play, even though uh, according to the rules, uh, there has to be a room for them to play in a bowl in order to go there. Yeah, I think so. So they actually just got a ruling, I guess, today or yesterday. I saw that um, uh, they're not. It, it's the strangest thing. I'm not sure why it is this way, but it's it's what the rules are. The NCAA. Um, they um, they're not in. Evidently, they 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 are not eligible to play in the Sun Belt Conference Championship game. But they. But uh, however, if um, if there's not enough teams to fill all the contracted bowl slots this year, um, then they can fill. They can be one of the teams to fill one of those empty spots. So um, yeah. So it's uh, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't make the rules. I just uh, no, I But it has something to do, obviously, with their transition into. The, the FBS level of bowl of, of uh, football and uh, Correct. again I, I'm not really understanding why they have that kind of rule in place but I, I've sort of always figured that you know once you're in you're in but maybe it, maybe there's some kind of probationary period uh, uh, during the transition process or something I, I'm not sure they make some strange well, they, rules I'll tell you they well, <laughs> 
Yeah, they they were. Uh, James Madison was in the uh, CAA Colonial uh, Athletic Conference uh, for uh, a number of years because I used to do games uh, when they'd be playing Drexel women in basketball. And I just saw the other night that the uh, coach then Kenny Brooks uh, is now the uh, women's coach at Va Tech. Uh, so uh, I mean that's that's a pretty big program. But the, uh, I, you know, Mike, that's what we said before. It's all because the existing schools uh, want a chance to win, and they don't want the Johnny Come Lately, the the new uh, boy on the block, to ha- uh, block them that first year. Uh, you know that that's the probationary period, and uh, that, James. But Roger, Madison you got an undefeated said, team. I mean, I, I just don't I, understand, I understand how you can eliminate an undefeated team from. Even from being in a conference championship, much less going into the NCAA tournament. I mean, I, I mean it doesn't it's, make sense to me. You're supposed to be. This is supposed to be education, and and uh, I, I, I'll never understand some of the rules they make. I just uh, it's crazy. It's, it's politics. It's politics because James Madison's had a good football program at the uh, division or one uh, AA level. I call it. And they, right. you remember when Villanova won the national championship, but like the next couple of years, James Madison, I think, won the championship. So they they have uh, had quite a reputation or a uh, in uh, college football uh, for a long time, and that's why they made the uh, the move. But you know, going from the CAA to the Sun Belt Conference is a a big step forward for the school. And, right. and and probably for the league too, the conference. Mike, have you got a Still dark politics. horse for us? You got a dark horse for us, Mike? For uh, team, you think may uh, may uh, step up and and take charge uh, of of the final four? You think uh, Michigan? I guess is going to. So you mean, uh, can't you mean coach a dark like horse? Three games, but he can coach the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? You mean a dark horse for the? You mean a dark horse yeah, to get in the playoff? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, well, I don't know this is going to happen, but um, none of us do. Possible, <laughs> but keep an eye out. You know, potentially uh, there's a scenario where Texas could get in, and that that would be interesting. Um, now it would take a couple things happening, but uh, it's certain. I would say that would be a dark horse kind of kind of uh, potential pick would be uh, Texas getting in with one loss, winning the Big 12, um, uh, because right now, right ahead of them, uh, and just outside of the playoff, you have Washington, who's undefeated, and you have Oregon, who's undefeated, or, or has one loss, I'm sorry. Um, and then you have uh, both of them have to play Oregon State coming up, um, and then, uh, or and then wash and then if they both win out the next couple of weeks, then Washington and Oregon will play each other in the uh, Pac-12 um, championship game. And so, if uh, if you know, so it would be interesting to see um, if uh, uh, let's just you know hypothetical. Let's say this could go Oregon right State down to the last beats, weekend of the season. Yeah, let's just say Oregon State beats Oregon and next this week or next week whenever they play, and then Oregon turns around and beats Washington in the championship game. 
you know, you you know, Texas and Texas wins their conference championship, they might slide right up in into one of those those playoff spots with the idea that, that you know, Ohio State and Michigan have to play each other and one of those guys obviously will lose that game. Right. And if that knocks that might knock him out of the playoff and may, might be an opening for Texas. So that's my dark horse. Dark horse uh, Well Mike, once again, thank you very much. Uh Tickets, you said. Let's go over that very quickly. Tickets are now yeah, on just, sale, correct? No, no, they're no, they're on sale on Monday. So Monday, Monday. they go on sale, and at 10 a.m. at Ticketmaster. Yep. Okay. And you'll join us next week, and we'll update everybody on where it stands. That sounds great. Thanks, guys. Have Appreciate a great week, man. And, and uh, go Appreciate watch some football. Appreciate it. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you very, thank you very, very much. Mike Schulte joins us every week, NCAA, and, of course, the Orlando Quest Bowl, uh, New Year's Day. We always get over there and see that. Uh, hopefully, we're going to get there to see it again this year. But now we're going to get on a Baltimore, Washington, and uh, talk to the PGA professional that joins us week in and week out, Doug Hamilton. Uh, Doug Hamilton, before we talk about any golf, we've got to talk about the closing seconds of last Sunday's game with the Ravens. Oh, why, why? What happened? I I think I accidentally turned the TV off. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know. You got to stick for the whole pro. You got to stick for the whole program, my boy. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty painful. I mean, I'm. I think most things Cleveland are repugnant. Um, I don't like. It's a terrible. I mean, it's really a terrible city. It's you know they call it the mistake by the lake. Um. <laughs> So I don't really. I well, mean, they lost their quarterback today. Well, that's what two hundred and what sixty million dollars will get you guaranteed. So I bet you they're really happy they did that. That was a that was a really good idea, I think. Um, but the game started off really well. I mean, the, the Ravens have lost three times this year, and all in all three cases they've relinquished a lead, a sizable lead, um, at some point in the second half. And uh, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, just watching that game, it was, I mean, that was unfortunate that, you know, Lamar Jackson threw the football and it, it got batted and then that guy picked it off and ran it in. But that was the momentum changer. Um, from that point forward, they just, they really couldn't do much. And uh, you could just see it happening. Um, and, you know, there was a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel when the Cleveland kicker missed the extra point thinking, okay, well, you know, we're still winning. Uh, but then, you know, that last second field goal was, was enough to, you know, kind of make me say a few choice words and just, you know, it was a, it was really an awful football day, you know, at least from my concern of watching the Ravens lose last second. You know, my wife is a Commanders fan, so they, they lost, um, you know, with a late field goal. And all in all, my fancy football team was stinky because I, I didn't put the right people in, and that was um, – Upsetting. So it was it was kind of a crummy Sunday, but yeah. Roger. But there's always next week. John. Well, I keep telling myself that, but I told Thursday myself Thursday night. Last. It's tomorrow night, not next week. Right there, tomorrow night they well, got their three and a half three and a half point choice over the Bengals. Thursday night football games stink. I mean, it's it's. I mean, you give a team a couple days to prepare. You know, they're they're still trying to Monday Tuesday lick their wounds from. You know, the battle scars they had on Sunday, you've got, you know, the possibility of, I mean, Ronnie Stanley, their, their left tackle, has already been ruled out. I, I think Marlon Humphrey's on the fence. I don't know if he's questionable or doubtful. Um, either way, trending downward. But, 
you know, unfortunately, you see these things happen with the violent collisions and the amount of tackles and hits and things that these guys take on Sunday, and then you're going to ask them to, you know, basically take a cold plunge on, you know, after the game and, and you know, suit up a couple days later. I mean, you, you, the good news is it's it's a, you know, it's a division rival, so that you know, from a preparation standpoint, it's not like you don't know them, but, um you know, I think you've got the Bengals coming off a, a tough loss against Houston. Uh, they didn't particularly look well. Um, but, right. you know, they have their own. I mean, T. Higgins is not playing. Um, there's a couple other. They have some some injuries at the wide receiver position. But Jamar Chase is a pretty dynamic player, and um, their defense isn't terrible. So um, Joe Burrow is Joe Burrow. I mean, he's, you know, he can he can go out there and they can put a 40 spot. I mean, I, you know, I know, Don, you're um, – What's the over under on this? I mean, I this could be a shootout. Uh, forty six. Forty six. Forty six. Uh, that's solid for an NFL game. But I mean, I'd like to think that game. Go, I mean, if the if the Browns can, you know, the Ravens Browns was what sixty couple points they scored, you know, and I think the Ravens actually have a decent defense. I mean, they they get after the quarterback, uh, which which is something they didn't do in the Wink Martindale era. Um, you know, and they're, the back end of their secondary is played particularly well. They have some really ginormous men up front that, that play the run well. That guy Michael Pierce and um, some other guys that that do well. I just I don't know how Cleveland got that many points. Um, you know, they didn't they didn't look very good. And you know, I think before the ink dried, Deshaun Watson looked like a terrible quarterback. I don't think he's played hardly any good games for Cleveland. Um, you know, since they signed him, but. Uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, I'll obviously be a spectator watching the, the game and, and hoping that uh, the Ravens can. This would be a big win for them to win um, against the Bengals and sweep them. So um, we'll see. Roger? Hello, Roger. He, he's gone. He had to go to the bathroom. I, I, I don't know where Roger left. Where Roger left. I'll tell you, the, the funny thing was, there were so many games last week. They were either terrible games or they they were games that came right down to the wire, like your game, like the Ravens. Yep. And yep. Uh, they were punch. Yeah, um, five games. I mean, I, really. Uh, this is uh, the first year that I haven't had the um, Sunday ticket because uh, I've always had direct TV, so I've always had the luxury, if you will, of, you know, catching parts of different games uh, that wouldn't otherwise be televised. Um, right. But I mean, you you look at at some of these games they have on Thursdays and Sunday nights and Monday nights, and I mean, you know, like the the Raiders are a bad football team, the Jets are a bad football team, um, Buffalo doesn't look very good at all. How about um, that? They really they were they were picking you know, up. Yeah, Jets are a bad football team, except uh, their defense is good. I yeah. you know what happened is I had dropped off and I I just came back. I don't know what happened. My line dropped. But I, I, I wanted to get back, Doug, what you said about Thursday night games. My, mm-hmm. my answer is that you have the, the teams on Thursday night that had the off weekend because of a bye. Sure. Sure. And then that way, that gives them, like, they finish on Thursday night, they, they mm-hmm. uh, practice that week, but they had a week off, and then they get a week and a half to recover. If you do it yeah, that I mean, way, I have no problem with Thursday night games. Totally agree. Um, I mean, look, at the end of the day, I don't. I mean, I don't know how the schedule actually gets made. Whether it's, 
you know, some kid that drops a deck of cards and they just flip them over and say, hey, the this, you know, this week this team's going to – but, um, you know, for me, it's, you know, you have the, the start of the season where you start looking at some of these teams. And, I mean, we don't, we don't know what injuries are going to play out yeah. that are going to change right. the course of the season right. and that now make a good team a bad team and et cetera, you know what I mean? But um, there, there's some really awful, you know, matchups that, that, that happen. And, and then you look at those – Sunday well, what happened game. was, uh, you know, uh, uh, is the fact that they scheduled in the Giants, who they thought were going to be competitive, the Jets, right. who they thought were going to be with, competitive with Rodgers. They they right. scheduled in so many prime time games with those sure. kinds of teams, who turned out to be terrible because right. either they lost players because of injury, or they weren't any good to begin with. Well, you had the Sunday morning game was the Colts and the Patriots. I mean, the only people that liked that were the people in, in Germany because they don't know what football is. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, it's just and, it's and now not they're a, not interested in a franchise, Doug. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I think you know J- Jacksonville ought to be setting up a, a headquarters somewhere across the pond soon. Um, you know, as much as they play over there. Well, so. I said my my I, I'll use the same one I used last week. Last week I was was what was supposedly going to be a good game between Kansas City and uh, what was it Kansas City and Miami I think it was, and uh, yes. I said that was the first game I got up to watch on Sunday morning and it will be the last game I get up to watch on <laughs> well, Sunday morning. I'm not watching games at nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I think I actually I actually enjoy that. I kind of look forward. It actually elongates your day on Sundays if you have interest in football. But I mean, look look at Kansas City. I mean, they haven't been a very good football team this year in terms of, you know, they've won some squeakers. But I mean, like you know, they, they've lost their offense. Doesn't look uh, the same as it used to. I mean, um, you know, this Roger brought that game, point up earlier in the show that he yeah. thought, you know, they weren't necessarily a number one team in the in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, people can talk you know, a lot about the AFC and, and, and who they think, you know, the represent, I mean, they were the, before the season, I think you probably had Kansas city, Buffalo and the Bengals. One of those three was the next anointed crowned, you know, team that was going to be dominant. And I think if, if to me, if the Ravens can get their defense under wraps in terms of holding on to these, they should be 10 and 0. And I think that uh, the Baltimore Ravens, I, I think that they're, they have the ability to be the best team in the AFC, um, you know, people talked about, um, you know, this new offense and Todd Munkin and Lamar Jackson, and he can't pass the football, and I don't know, you know, why are we giving him all this money? I mean, he has a completion percentage of north of 70%, you know. So, I mean, something's working. You know, their, their run game is still their run game. Um, I think that – Their defense is good, though. This, but their defense is better. Um, they have a number of players who have sacks and, and McDonald's scheme – uh, where he brings pressure and does different things. And, and the back end of that secondary has held up um, enough based on the pressure that he puts on there. Because if, for those that don't know, I mean, Wink Martindale, I, I, I liked him as a defensive coordinator, but his scheme was more blitz heavy as opposed to, you know, just different things that this guy does to bring pressure from different places. Well, he's having a tough uh, time with the Giants. Of course, they don't have much talent, do they? Right. Too, but yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, the addition of Roquan Smith has made all the world uh, to the Ravens since they've acquired him. I mean, he's a tackling machine. Uh, Pat, Patrick Queen standing next to him is 
uh, playing very good, inspired football. Obviously, it's a contract year for him, which, you know, you know uh, uh, Justin Matabike is, is another one, defensive lineman that the Ravens have, contract year. So there's, you know, uh, both playing really, really good football. But, you know, it's tough to pay all these different guys, you know, when it comes to the, you know, the amount of money they make. So, hey, Roger. Get, yeah, getting back to uh, Jacksonville, and you're right about – uh, how many times they played overseas. I guess they were probably the first team that really uh, played over there. But I think yeah. that's all changing because they just weren't drawing. You know, in a, uh, what, 75 to 80,000 uh, seat mm-hmm. stadium, the Gator Bowl. Yeah. And um, now that they have a good team and a growing uh, team, uh, mm-hmm. I don't think that they're going to want to play. Uh, they're going to want to keep that in-house now that they are uh, back in the house in that stadium, uh, for, you know, for uh, for the team. And what do you guys think about that? I, th- I That's the way I think about it. I mean, you know, I mean, it's you can see this in a lot of different sports. You know, you guys are, are part and parcel to the, the Tampa Bay, you know, scenario where you've got a, a winning baseball team that doesn't draw, you know, exorbitant amount of fans. I mean, Jacksonville's kind of the same concept where, um, you know, they're starting to win. They're starting, you know, they've got the pieces of uh, Trevor Lawrence and ETN and, and the pieces of, of, you know, a core group of guys. Their defense is, is pretty decent. Um, you know, I think that owner probably is, is a good owner in terms of, of what he wants to spend and do and, and all these different things. But, I mean, at the end of the day, there's some teams in some markets that just aren't cut out to have, you know, professional sports teams. You know, it's just the way that it works. I mean, we've seen that in, in Well, if Lawrence could figure out which uniform to throw his ball to. Well, he, he better, struggled last week for sure. He'd have a better chance. But, uh, well, you, you know, know, he came he came out of college as the number one draft choice. He was the guy that was going to turn the program around. And I still think he's going to. I, I think he is a quality quarterback. He just had some bad luck, but uh, he just well, throws right now. He's just throwing too many inter- interceptions. Let's give that credit to where it should be. I mean, San Francisco's a pretty daggone good defense when you can spot, you know, Chase Young and Nick Bosa coming at you. That's that's enough to make a lot of people want to, you know, go grab an ice cream cone at halftime and say, I'm done. <laughs> You've got the, well, you've got that Jacksonville's right. got a great coach now, too. I mean, he's yeah. a Super Bowl winner and um, a class act, and you couldn't ask uh, for a uh, a more a better coach and, and representative of that team in the community than Doug Peterson. Sure. I mean, it's, you know, there's some people have that special talent of being, as they would say in air quotes, a quarterback whisperer when it comes to developing talent and those sorts of things. And, um you know, it seems like I said, I mean, they're they're building, you know, franchise and, um, you know, there's some good things that are going to happen, you know, with them. And you so know what, Brandon though? There's Hyde. some that don't have that talent. I know you've got to be happy that got the uh, Manager of the Year award. Well, it's, you know, look, I I can appreciate the fact that the Orioles have some uh, some different things that wrapped up the end of their season with Gunnar Henderson and, and uh, and Brandon Hyde and uh, Michael Elias. I mean, that's that's a pretty solid, you know, threesome of of different things that happened in a positive light. I mean, um, my my curiosity is um, I counted it two or three different times today, but but the forty man roster for the Orioles stands at thirty six. 
So I'm curious to know, I know the Rule 5 draft is coming up, and I know that, I don't know the particulars, but I don't know um, from their minor league system, there's a, a certain caliber of player, I don't know if it's years experience, or I'm not sure how that equation comes together that they have to protect. Um, or else they, you know, they they let them available for that Rule Five draft. I don't know if the rules are are going to they left four spots because they're going to take some people, or um, I'm not sure what they're doing there. So that has my curiosity. Roger. Well, I'll tell you, Doug. Uh, the the uh, Orioles are not the only team that have open spots. I think the mm-hmm. Phillies have uh, 38, mm-hmm. and and that gives them some. Uh, leverage and of course, uh, you know Aaron Nola and uh, Reese Hoskins uh, opted mm-hmm. out uh, for free agency. I wanted to, sure. you know, get back. You had a great point, you know, when we were talking about Doug Peterson, and you said there are people that are really good; uh, they know what they're doing. And I agree, Doug Peterson. And then on the flip side, there are people who have no clue, uh, <laughs> i.e., Josh McDaniel. Does well, anybody think Josh McDaniel will ever get a head coaching shot again? I don't. Yeah, but that's a, that unto itself, uh, Roger, is a very valid point because what you see is you see a lot of these people um, that, that resurface after having a failed, you know, attempt. Um, I don't certainly want to sound like a hypocrite um, based on my recent track record of PGA professional, um, but at the same time, you know, I think the guys like McDaniel and people that fall under that Belichick coaching tree, maybe it's Andy Reid, you know, different people will continue to get opportunities before other people do because of they think their pedigree. And to me, if you look at, at McDaniel, I mean, he he was not a good football coach in, in Denver. He was actually better probably in Denver, um, certainly not in, in Los Angeles. And then he totally stiffed the Colts. You know, when when they hired him and he declined, like whenever that right. middle of the night or whatever that happened was, um, right. and and that's to my that's to my point is that some of these people are better designed as offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators. You know, what was the other guy? Matt Patricia, another guy the Lions. He didn't last very oh. long. I mean, a lot of these guys. No, that, no, uh, he's he's he, he's on the staff at the Eagles now. Is you know, at a low low man. But you know what? The other thing is McDaniel had. Uh, uh, Brady, and and mm-hmm. when he lost Brady, the the whole team has lost, and well, and, and they're drafting and everything uh, since Brady left. Well, I'm not going to say that these individuals aren't good football coaches, but from what I understand, uh, based on Josh McDaniel, that he just wasn't a good person, and I think that that had more oh, to do exactly with. Oh, that's exactly right. You're you're right about that. He was following, you know, like Belichick, and and Belichick can get away with it, but Josh McDaniel can't. Well, I mean, look at look at the. I say this every time I watch a football game that the Miami Dolphins head coach, that that guy looks like. He, he, I, I mean, what he looks like he on every like Thursday night. He has like a glass of water and then he organizes his butterfly collection. Like he's the biggest <laughs> nerdy looking guy. And he is, if you you're open right. one of those books, my mom gave me one of those books when I was like 12 for Christmas, the where's Waldo book. That's that dude. I'm telling you, he, he's Waldo. But so, he's a good coach. Yeah. I mean, he knows his stuff, but I'm just saying like, I mean, um, 
about the guy in in, uh, in Los Angeles for the for the Chargers? I mean, he's kind of on some thin ice, I think, a little bit. I mean, but there's yeah, he is. Yeah, you know. So. But you know, look at look at. But then you look at the Eagles uh, with you know uh, uh, you know with Nick, and here his uh, first two uh, coordinators are both head co- uh, head coaches in the league, and he's only he's only in his. Uh, uh, what third year or fourth year as the head coach of the Eagles? Well, I'll tell you what. If, if I had a pair of shoulder pads and a helmet, and you said you can go play for any coach you want to go play for, I might, I might pick Dan Campbell. I think that guy's a yeah, well, he's, yeah, he's great. He's a player's coach. I just like his. They, they, he's a hard nosed coach too, boy. He, I'll tell you, he's, he's taking that team from he's very. He's taking that team from sawdust to uh, to, the, to the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, I just I like how he does what he does. He's very passionate. I love watching him on the sidelines, encourage his players, and you know, get after that. It's just it's fun. And he was that way as a player too. I of remember course. him well, he, playing. Yeah, he said that himself in in the interview where they were talking about it. He actually cried during the interview because they were. He said, "Look, man, I was I wasn't I was good enough to make the league, but I wasn't I was." the bottom end of the NFL. Like I had to do Producer Frank Carroll tells me we're all through. Never you got to golf today with our PGA <laughs> professional yeah. Doug Hamilton, but we'll get you next week, Doug. Thank you very much. Got it. Doug, Doug have good. a great week. Take care. Roger, thank you. Thanks to all our guests tonight and a lot of fun, a lot of good stuff. And we'll do it all again next Wednesday night. Thank you. All yours, Frank. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, this program brought to you each and every night of the week. We're grateful. Appreciate it. The men and women of the United States Armed Forces, women, police, fire, men and women, police, fire services, the doctors and nurses at the hospital, and the first responders of COVID. Please, when you run, when you wrap, when you see somebody in uniform, let them know you know they're there. If you can, say you appreciate it. It would be well, well within, make them the happiest guys in the world. These programs are set, dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Dr. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll. Patrolman Jeffrey Patrolman Jeffrey Colcott, Patrolman David Curtis, Sergeant Thomas Bager, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Henler, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Harper Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Choice Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Fire Department, Police Department. Sergeant Chris LeVake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Chairman Anafu Christman, Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Fikus, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Uh, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogle, Longwood Key Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Deputy Mike Hargrove, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Blaine Lane, and then Deputy Chris Myers, Polk County Sheriff's Department. And Sergeant Chris uh, Fitzgerald, Philadelphia Sheriff's Department. And Temple University Police Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10 7 at this point in time, 
for some time will be ten pennies to table of the Lord. Until that time, may the rose rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields. The sunshine lighten on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hands. And I God bless and have a great week. County Dispatch to 1999. County Dispatch to 1999. County Dispatch to 1999. All units be advised, 1999 is responded to his last emergency. May God rest his souls and all the souls of the faithful departed.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.